to the SME ICB podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the SNE ICB podcast. My name is James Catton. I'm a physician associate working in SNE. This episode is all about personalised care and personal health budgets. So to find out more, I'm joined by two guests on the show today, Joe and Dawn, to talk all about personalised care. So I'll let them introduce themselves. Uh, yeah, my name's Joe Cowley, and I am the ICB lead for personalised care. So I work with Andrew Kelso as part of the medical directorate and I lead a small team in the ICB but I work very closely with colleagues in each of the alliances who also have a role to deliver personalised care. I'm Dawn Taylor and I work as the personal health budget, budget delivery advisor. Perfect, so let's get going. The NHS long-term plan sets out a commitment to rolling out a comprehensive model for personalised care so that it reaches 2.5 million people by 2023-24, and with an ambition to double that figure within a decade. It's hoped that a move to personalised care means people having more control over the care and support they need to improve their own health and well-being. Personalised care simply means that patients have more control and choice when it comes to the way that their care is planned and delivered taking into account individual needs, preferences and circumstances. Personalised care represents a major practical change to the NHS and is a key part of the NHS long-term plan. It is a whole system approach that enables a variety of services across the health, social care, public health and community spectrum to be integrated around the individual in order to deliver better outcomes and experiences. Research has shown that when patients have the opportunity to be involved in decision-making around personalised healthcare, there are generally better outcomes and experiences and reduced health inequalities. Specific benefits of personalised care include better adherence to medical advice since the patient has been involved in making the decision, and increased patient and clinician satisfaction. There are many different aspects of personalised care, from shared decision-making between patients and clinicians where they work collaboratively to reach a decision about treatment that best suits the patient. Another aspect of personalised care is social prescribing, to improve health, well-being and social welfare, involving local councils, local charities and community services for patients. But the main topic of this episode is about personal health budgets. The idea behind PHBs, or personal health budgets, is that patients with certain long-term conditions will be allocated a pot of money to spend on their individual needs. The patient works with their local NHS team to agree a care plan, setting out how that budget will be spent. So I started first by asking Jo if she could explain to me what exactly is meant by the term personalised care. So personalised care is it's a shift in how the NHS works. Um, It's a cultural change that was flagged in the long term plan. And the vision for personalised care really is to maximise people's independence, their good health and well-being throughout their life by shifting the focus from what's the matter with you to what matters to you. So there's a growing evidence base to show that if we work with people by having shared decisions, by having a personalised care and support plan, by offering people more choice and control, and by thinking about the wider determinants that influence people's health, then we can create better health and well-being outcomes for people. We can reduce service use, so we can get up front of problems, and um, and we can ensure that people 
have the right support to help them to stay well and healthy. So whatever stage of someone's life course they're at, a personalized care approach is appropriate for our working with that person. So whether that is through maternity services at the beginning of life, through people when they um, first have an interaction with the health system, um, all the way through to the end of life, personalized care is a way of working that we want to promote and which we think makes a real difference for people. It's a cultural shift. So it's a way of working when you go and see your GP. It's a way of working if you have a long-term condition. It's a way of working if you focusing on, on what's the matter with you as well as what matters to you. And being a podcast focused on the Suffolk and North East Essex NHS system, I asked Joe whether this move to personalised care is a national project and how we're focusing on personalised care within our integrated care system locally here in Suffolk and North East Essex. So it's a national programme and there's a national framework that we are following in SNE. And the national framework asks us to look at uh, what they describe as the six pillars of personalised care. Um, And that breaks it down into chunks of work that we need to take action on. But having said that, it it is within a broader system shift that includes ACS colleagues, includes the voluntary in the community sector, includes our district council partners to say, actually, we want to be more preventative. We want to be thinking about the broader determinants of health. So although it's an NHS programme for personalised care, it very much supports our general strategy as an ICS to be working as a system to be thinking about the broader determinants of health and to work with people to tackle those issues. The idea that people need to be have the options around their health and care to make decisions about their health and care, and they need to do that with their healthcare practitioner, um, with whoever they're working with, in order to say, what's the best thing for me? Now, I don't think it was universal, but in the past, I suspect that Sometimes people weren't given the information and they weren't involved in that decision. So clinicians would make a you know, best choice decision about the treatment, the prescription, the um, course of action that needed to be taken. Now I think we're expecting that decision to be made in a bit more partnership with people. We know we've got shared decision-making tools online for different interventions, but generally the just in every conversation, people need to have more information, be more involved in the decisions that are being made about their own health and care um, and be involved in that conversation. Because that might make a decision about which co- which course of treatment you go down. So I think looking at the whole picture is what we would be after. And also working with the strengths and assets of that person. So, you know, they might, might love swimming, but they might ha- hate running they might have a dog they might you know all those things would be things that you could as a practitioner you could build on to enhance the impact of the medical intervention that you were making and then we know from experience that by adding those pieces in you will have a much bigger and better outcome for that person you'll be able to achieve more they'll be able able to achieve more and a kind of sense of progress and choice for people because they're involved in deciding and determining what the actions are that they're going to take. Now, 
As I mentioned earlier, there are different forms of personalised care, shared decision-making, social prescribing and others. But the main topic of this episode is about personal health budgets. Personal health budgets are touted as another way of taking into account what matters to people and their individual strengths and needs in order to provide the best possible care for that individual. Whilst I think most people will be supportive of patients having more control over their care, some concerns do also exist about personal health budgets. There is evidence that shows that the quality of life may improve, but personal health budgets do not directly seem to result in better clinical outcomes for patients. There is also the potential for inequality for patients, with those in receipt of personal health budgets being able to access treatments that other patients may not. And if NHS funds, which are already stretched to the limit, are being spent on non-traditional treatments and non-NHS services, what assurance do we all need to make sure that they are clinically effective? So I asked Joe if she could explain a bit more about the evidence that this new approach can be effective. Um, We have a growing evidence base around outcomes. Um, And we do know that, that actually being involved in decision making is what people want. So that that comes through loud and clear. I mean, maybe this is an opportunity, James, to have a a bit of a to bring in Dawn and talk about personal health budgets, because that really is an area where choice is important. Understanding the difference that a personalised approach can make really comes through. Okay, so what is a personal health budget? Um, Million dollar question, um, because there seems to be so much misunderstanding about what it is. So it's basically a sum of money that is likely to have previously been spent on your health care, which it can be allocated to an individual to spend in a way that makes sense to them, even if it doesn't necessarily always make sense to us. So I can break that down further. So there are four areas where individuals have what we call a legal right to have a personal health budget. That means if you are eligible for NHS continuing health care, you have Section 117 aftercare rights, you are eligible for an NHS wheelchair, or you're also eligible for children's continuing care. So if you are in receipt of funding via those NHS routes, you will be offered a personal health budget. Uh, during your your different review conversations with the, those clinicians or social workers involved in your care and planning your arrangements. It doesn't mean to say that you're just given that sum of money and you can go off and do what you want to do and spend it on things that you want to spend it on. So there, there is restrictions about what you can spend it on and it must be spent on achieving your health outcomes. And also you work alongside those practitioners to determine um, whether you will be able to achieve your health outcomes in that particular way. So, for instance, some persons within continuing health care, it might be that they need carers. Now, the traditional way may have been that the NHS would have commissioned a care agency to come into your home and deliver care to you at times determined when the care agency have availability. However, you may decide that doesn't work for you. You might also have a spouse who's in your home who wants to work as one of your carers, but also you have a neighbour who is able to work alongside your spouse. So between them together, the, the money is, is, there's no more money. It's money that's been spent on your care, but you're able to choose the arrangements that work better for you. 
Then there are other areas where we're looking at growing personal health budgets across the NHS. And that's in some of those sort of small budget, but big impact one-off areas where we know we can do a lot working within disabilities, inequalities, to really make a difference to those wider determinants of health. Um, some of the areas where we're looking at developing one-off PHBs for, so this means the person doesn't have a legal right, it means that those practitioners may offer you a budget if it is the right thing for you, but you don't have have any legal recourse to request a personal health budget. So some of those areas that we're working in, it could be um, serious mental illness recovery. We also have a personal health budget offer that supports hospital discharge. So you can imagine a person is ready to leave hospital. The care, if it's required, has already been set up. And then literally, as you are about to leave that hospital, there is an issue why you can't go home or you may have literally arrived home by, by uh, hospital transport and they would have turned around and taken you back because you cannot stay at home because it is unsafe. Then we can access this personal health budget fund. So for example, quite recently we had a gentleman and he'd been admitted with a fall and he was being discharged back home and he was going to have care being set up. He arrived back with public transport at the same time as the reablement team and the occupational therapist actually identified he didn't actually have a working toilet in the rented property where he lived and the landlord wasn't available either. So there was two options. Do we just give this gentleman a commode because that would have given him some kind of toilet facility. However, how would we have emptied that commode? So it would have left this gentleman in an unhygienic situation. So the decision was made that it was easier to allocate a personal budget to this gentleman. And for the cost of £60, he had a new toilet pan that was actually fitted using the voluntary sector to help to facilitate the fitting. Um, we might have somebody that has been suffering with anxiety, but they're also suffering with obesity because they're socially excluded and they might agree to start to participate in one of the voluntary um, sectors walking programs, which is a fantastic opportunity outdoors to help their mental health anxieties and to engage them with um, other like-minded individuals. One of the barriers might be that you know what they don't have appropriate footwear and neither because they're on benefits do they have the economical resource to actually purchase something so again a one-off personal health budget the cost of what 20 pounds would help that person to be able to engage in that activity and to really start to reap some of those wider health outcomes that can be achieved and it starts to level up some of our deprived communities as well. So this is actually purely taking existing NHS budgets and delivering NHS funding in a different way. So that's kind of just given a few examples of what a personal health budget can achieve. So it's about determining what matters to the person, what will help to keep them well, what will help to get them well, or what will help them to die well, and where is the gaps within some of our commissioned services, that actually by using a personal budget, it might make quite a significant difference to them helping them to achieve their health outcomes.
Well, that seemed like a sensible idea to me to make these things easier through the use of personal health budgets. And perhaps how, whilst personal health budgets aren't going to be used by everyone in our system, it can help make things easier in some situations and perhaps address some of the gaps in service provision for certain people. As we all know, we have some amazing commission services within our organisation available to people across Suffolk and North East Essex ICB. And they probably suit 90%, 98% of our local communities. But it's those smaller percentages of persons that actually things don't work for them, you know, particularly in the areas of learning disability. It's not new money, as I said earlier. It's just about allocating that fund to them in a way that will work for them. So it allows us to engage with people differently, to have a more in-depth and meaningful conversation, to capture the, the essence of what is important to them, what will help them to get well. And so they can't just go out and spend it on something like, you know, a gambling debt or on their groceries, but it is about purchasing something, a resource, a product, a service that will help them to make, to make a difference. It could even be that they might, might access an educational course. Now, we know that there are quite a lot of patients who visit A&E departments or have consultations with their GPs about issues which aren't strictly medical or even appropriate for that service. I'm thinking of things often for social issues and these sorts of things that can often be dealt with better and more appropriate support put in place in other avenues. So I asked Dawn if she could talk a little bit more about how personalised care might support those people. That is why we moved into social prescribing. So we were able to refer those individuals to the social prescriber. And that's fantastic. So social prescribers have had lots of health coach training as well and able to have those really personalised conversation alongside um, clinical members of staff, such as your GP, practice nurses, community pharmacists, etc. Also, what it means is when they identify some of those barriers within the individual, they can signpost them into some of our voluntary sector activities. Importantly, not, not all of our voluntary sector activities will meet the needs and the health outcomes of everybody. And that is why it's still vitally important to have a personal health budget offer that's available. So what we're starting to see is some of the commission pathways are making available small pots of money because we are talking about small budget, big impact budget. So it's not for everybody. They won't, there's not like a price per head that will be available. It's for people where we really know it is going to make a difference, where there is the significant gaps in resource to those individuals. And so Within those, some of those ring-fenced pots of money, we're starting to make PHBs more accessible. They're still not widely resourced currently, um, but it is a growing area. So the NHS is targeting the ICB with delivery of personal health budgets. We have a long way to go across Suffolk and North East Essex. We currently have about 1,300 personal health budgets that we currently deliver. We'd like to grow this considerably in line with the NHS long-term plan, that they think that there could be up to a million budgets being delivered in this way to really make a significant difference to our communities. I can remember from when I was being trained as a physician associate, I received lots of training in how to structure a consultation with a patient. 
how to reach a shared decision between the clinician and the patient. And I was wondering, with my medical education hat on, whether this is something that is going to be increasingly built into the training of healthcare professional students, and perhaps even into the training and development of healthcare professionals on an ongoing basis. So that's a really good question, James. So we want to tackle this on all sorts of levels. So just as a very baseline level, the Personalised Care Institute, which is a national organisation, has a quite a large suite of online training courses. So they are often half an hour, one hour, um, quite short training courses, which give people the basics so they can understand what does it mean to make, have a shared decision-making conversation? What is a personalised care and support plan? What are the roles that I need to be playing and where can I pull on other resources to help me? So that's a really good starting resource for people, the Personalised Care Institute. Secondly, um, we are looking at how we can embed personalised care approaches through all the training that's offered across SNE. So we're talking with training providers in the acute hospitals, in our community services, um, and thinking about what is it that would really make personalised care embedded in all the induction courses, in all the training courses. Um, and then thirdly, we, are, we would like to look at, we haven't got to this yet, we'd like to look at how the training works in our universities to make sure that we have got a coherent message that we're giving out to people so that people are, are taught around personalised care, that they can practice personalised care when they get into their workplaces. And that's just that just becomes the way of working. But I would also encourage people to talk to some of the personalised care roles, perhaps in their GP surgery. So have a conversation with a social prescriber. Um, ask them about the difference it's made, the difference they've seen when you've referred someone over. How do you know what the change has been because of that referral. Finally, I wanted to ask what Joe and Dawn felt the future of personalised healthcare programme might be across Suffolk and North East Essex. So the future for the personalised care programme is that it becomes everybody's business and that we don't have a personalised care programme in the future because it just is the way we work. So we're asking people to up their own skills and think about how they can deliver personalised care approaches. We're asking to people for people to make sure that they have attended training, that they've used all the resources that are available to them. Um, but also that if you if the, if you do have good examples of personalised care, you share those with us so that we can then share them to inspire other people. Because it's those personal stories about the difference that it makes that I think really make a difference, helps people and it also helps us as practitioners and us as workers in the system. So a win-win is what we're trying to show. Um, we um, as a team, and I know the teams in the alliances are really keen to come out and talk to you, your team, your network about personalised care, to get into that discussion about what it means for you and what's important for you about it. So we want to be able to model that as a way of working. We'd also be really interested if you had ideas about where you might want to look at a personal health budget offer. If you know there's an area of your work where you think a personal health budget would make a real difference to someone's health outcomes, 
come and talk to us about it. And we can explore with you, does it fit the rules? What, how, what you would need to do to make that happen? Where's the budget coming from? All those, all those issues around personal health budget. So we, we're really looking for more areas so we can expand. So you know, Dawn talked about us getting right, improving our numbers. We would like to get up to around 3,000, 3,500 personal health budgets in the next couple of years. So we are really looking for those innovations and those opportunities um, to be able to, to in- increase the choice and control that people have through the use of personal health budgets. Well, that's all for me for now. Thanks for listening to this episode all about personalised health budgets. If you've got an idea for a future episode of the podcast, it would be great to hear from you. Please get in touch. I'll leave contact details in the show notes below so that you can find me there. And don't forget to join my colleagues from the ICB comms team for next week's episode of The Briefing. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Thanks for listening to the SNE ICB podcast.